giving is a real part of God's kingdom. Oh, here we go. That's what they're going to say. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemphill. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, Bible Discovery TV. We're going through the Bible again. And we are in a passage in Joshua. I think you're going to find this fascinating as we study the Word of God for the next 28 minutes. Stay with us as we do that. Corey and Ryan are here. They're going to be presenting to us. And so let's find out, Corey. More today on the interesting biblical city of Shechem. Ryan? Today, we're going to learn about a literary device used frequently in the Bible called a chiasm. All right. This is really interesting. The literary devices and all of that, uh, it's really, really good. Janice, what'd you do? Promises fulfilled. All right. Very good. I mean, God fulfills his promises, but we'll figure out what she's talking about. So stay there. Get your Bible guide out. This is the March Bible guide. If you don't have one, hang on, because we'll tell you how you can get yours. And let's open up the Bible and listen to what God says. Joshua 21, verses 1 through 8. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in, with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance, at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their common lands. Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites. And the children of Aaron the priest, who were of the Levites, had thirteen cities by lot from the tribe of Judah from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin. The rest of the children of Kohath had ten cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the children of Gershon had thirteen cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. The children of Merari, according to their families, had twelve cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Joshua chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Joshua chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24. We're moving fast here today. And one of the most important aspects of God's kingdom is how the Lord calls everyone to be accountable to him. It's true. The Levites were a unique tribe of Israel, set apart by, by God by their own other tribes. And they were not given an earthly inheritance. Rather, theirs was an inheritance in the Lord their God. In other words, everything they needed could be found in their personal worship to the Lord. They did not have a career 
Their career was, in fact, a calling to facilitate Israel's worship of God. Now, the offerings and the giving that God commands are not necessarily for him, but are to be those that benefit those whom he chose to minister his word and ways to and through. Now, the tribe of the children of Israel even gave cities to the Levites to live in from their own inheritances as God had commanded. Now, this is important and interesting. As we begin to look at this particular passage of Scripture at the end of Joshua, we need to begin to learn what God is saying to us. So take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. And let me tell you something. Um, if you don't have a Bible guide, you can call us or write us or go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the page and it'll give you a Bible guide or give you a chance to get one. And I want to say thank you for your donations. They are very meaningful, very helpful right now, very, very important too. So thank you for that. And today, cities to dwell in, cities to dwell in. Father, help us to learn what this means. Help us to know that you had planned for everything. And Father, I pray today that as we study this, we would learn what you've done. And it's not important what we've done. Lord, it's not important what we've done, but it's important what you've done. And not important what we do, but important that you do it through us. So we come to you right now in Jesus' name with all of that. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, if you didn't understand what I just prayed, think carefully because we're going to learn some more about that today. From the scripture, Joshua chapter 21, verses 1, 2, 3. 1, 2, 3, actually. Then the heads of the father's houses of the Levites came near to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers, the houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in, and their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the command of the Lord, these cities and their common lands. They did it. So this is the point. Giving is a real part of God's command and kingdom, old or new. Giving is a real part of God's commands and kingdom. Old and New Testament is the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Beloved, remember that the Lord is the same. Now, things have changed somewhat, but just like the Bible says uh, it is not tolerable for us to commit adultery, the Bible also says things about giving. And we have many places in the New Testament which speak about giving and how we see giving. And that becomes important. Tithes and offerings, that becomes very important. I had people come to me and say to me, I don't give anymore because I'm not under the law. Well, we're not under the law, but we follow Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law. And so, we make his ways our ways, and his ways were he gave. And so that's something to keep in mind. Joshua chapter 21, verses 4 and 5 say, Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites, and the children of Aaron, the priest who were of the Levites, had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from, the, from Simeon and from the tribe of Benjamin, Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. The rest of the children of Kohath had ten cities by lot 
from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, what does this mean? We come to the second point. The Levitical cities were determined by lot and fell first to the priest. Okay, keep in mind, God strategically placed them to serve him and the people. He still does that for us today. Can you believe that? God still uses us in the communities that we are in, that we live, if we are Christians. We need to pray for our neighbors, and we need to trust the people, learn how to love each other, our neighbors, and you know, not get even and get mad and all that stuff. We just need to focus our energy on showing them who Jesus Christ is in our lives. Because when we do that, then God is known for who he is. So, Father, help us to do that today. All right. Now this gets interesting. Chapter 21, verses 6 and 8. And the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot, from the families of the tribe of Issachar, and from the tribe of Asher, and from the tribes of Naphtali, and from the tribe or the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan. The children of Merari, according to their families, had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Now, this leads me to the last point, which is very important. The Lord commanded, and the tribes of Israel gave. The Lord commanded, and the tribes of Israel gave. Giving is generational and must be alive in every generation. Beloved, listen carefully. This generation... And the generation under us needs to learn how to give, how to give to God, beloved. We need to learn that tithing and giving is very important because giving is part of what God has commanded. And uh, somebody once said to me, it's, it's like a law. Giving is there. And when you give, it just kicks in. The laws of God kick in. And when you don't give in or when you don't give, the laws of God do not kick in. Now, that's important to remember. And there are many testimonies that I can see on television and around me of people who have given and the God has helped them in their giving and their tithes and their offerings and all of that. God somehow helps them. And especially today. And we've seen that. And God will do that for you. If you have not been giving or you haven't been tithing or you haven't noticed, that's how the kingdom was set up. And we need to do that. And so, Lord, today we pray that you would help us to see who you are. You're not just a, a good, bright eye in the sky, but you're somebody that we serve as the Lord and as the King. And Father, we pray today that we would recognize that. Help us to know that we must give in order to understand you are the King. Thank you, Father, and in Jesus' wonderful and beautiful name, and we pray together, amen. Now, keep that in mind and think about this today. If you're a Christian, you hear what I'm saying. So let's give. 
Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. On yesterday's program, we began to speak about the really interesting biblical city of Shechem. It had a long history in the Bible, beginning in Genesis and continuing on through the time period of the conquest and into the time period of the kings of Israel. But I want to focus today on the power of Shechem during the time period of the conquest of the Promised Land, because it creates this really interesting power dynamic uh, that must have been going on during the days of Joshua. Take a look. Before the united monarchy of ancient Israel, the Canaanite city of Shechem exerted control over quite a large area of land for many years. Shechem was located in the central hill country of Canaan, around 30 miles north of Jerusalem. By the time of the biblical conquest and judges, the Amarna letters, which are letters between Egyptian pharaohs and the allied kings from cities in Canaan, describe Shechem's power as being from north of Jerusalem to Megiddo. The Bible seems to agree circumstantially with this evaluation, but the Israelites are seen moving freely in this territory and all of their military conquests are outside of this central area. In Joshua 8, after marching into central Canaan and defeating the cities of Jericho and Ai, the Israelites, along with their women and children, marched to Shechem for their covenant ceremony on Mount Abal and Gerizim. This march is without warfare, even though they're marching through territory firmly controlled by Shechem. Furthermore, Moses had earlier prescribed this journey, so what was the relationship with Shechem that allowed this? After the covenant ceremony, the Israelites are recorded as launching military campaigns in the south and in the north, but nothing in the territory of Shechem. It's also known from the Bible that one of the forefathers of the nation, Jacob, purchased some land at Shechem. This land then was willed to Joseph and then to his son Manasseh. So perhaps this land ownership had something to do with the cordial relationship that seems to have existed. Nevertheless, Joshua holds his final covenant renewal again at the city of Shechem, which was made into a Levitical city of refuge without any mention of military action. And the Israelites then bury the bones of Joseph there and set up a standing stone next to a place of worship. The Amarna letters, though controversial in how exactly they relate to the scriptures, do mention repeatedly that the king and princes of Shechem were working with the Habiru, giving them land and funding their expeditions. Habiru means fugitive or refugee and was given to many displaced people groups, but in this context seems to fit the Israelites very well. Whatever the political relationship was between Israel and Shechem, it's safe to say that there was one. So it's really interesting how we can see Shechem in the Bible and Shechem in history really mesh together to create for us um, this, this historical context for what life may have been like for the Israelites marching into the Promised Land, marching into Canaan. So some sort of agreement, some sort of treaty must have existed between the Israelites and the King Shechem, whether that was based off of earlier bloodlines, uh, back you know with, with Jacob and, and that whole fiasco 
in Genesis chapter 34, uh, or whether it was it was something new. We're just not told in the Bible, but it's really interesting how we can see historical records that talk about the power of Shechem and can talk about this invading force. Uh, well, like right at the right time where the Bible is talking about the children of Israel marching into the promised land and renewing their covenant at Shechem. You know, this is interesting because remember that this land was given to Abraham Mm -hmm. uh, hundreds of years back. And now all of a sudden, uh, the people of Israel go into the promised land and God gives them, has already given them the promised land, but they're 40 years late because of all the things they Mm -hmm. went through. They didn't trust God and all of that. Except Caleb and Joshua, they trusted God. We'll, We'll get to that. But this is interesting because these the, the people have time because they said, well, we've seen what God did in Egypt. We've seen what God did. So they've had like 40 years to get out. That's very important to remember. So anyway, it's really, really something. And uh, thank you so much for that. It's really good. Ryan? Yeah, well, today I'm focused on Joshua chapter 22, in which the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh build an altar by the Jordan River. Well, although they definitely meant well, the other tribes initially thought that they were rebelling against the Lord. So these tribes confronted them and a civil war almost broke out. But the two and a half tribes explained their true godly motivation and well, war was averted. And if you haven't read that chapter, then I would definitely recommend it. But today I'm actually gonna come at this account from a slightly different approach, a very different approach actually. I wanna study the form of the text here because it's really, really amazing. And as you might be aware, there are many different literary devices that God uses in the Bible to communicate his holy word. Now, one of these literary devices is called a chiasm, also called reverse symmetry. And it's used in Joshua chapter 22. Check it out. Although perhaps not always perceivable to the untrained eye, there are a number of literary devices that the Bible employs. Some of these include alternation, immediate repetition, parallel symmetry, and reverse symmetry. Perhaps most beautiful and unexpected of these devices is reverse symmetry, also known as a chiastic structure. A chiastic structure, or chiasm, is when the same language and style elements are repeated in the second part in reverse order, last matching first and first matching last. Or even more simply put, it's a repetition of similar ideas in the reverse sequence. Thus, chiasms are structured in a repeating ABC-CBA pattern. One example of this is Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, where God declares, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Although many have remained unaware of this literary device, even classical authors such as Livy and Tacitus used chiastic patterns hundreds of times in their writings. Likewise, they're also used hundreds, if not thousands of times in the Bible. They seem to be especially prevalent in its historical narrative, probably because this particular literary device makes narrative easy to remember, which is a very important thing for a largely oral culture. Hence, it's no surprise that the historical book of Joshua contains several chiasms. For example, Joshua chapter 22 verses 10 to 34 forms the chiasmic pattern A, B, C, D, E, F, F, E, D, C, B, A, and it runs like this. A, the two and a half Israelite tribes build an altar in verse 10. B, the Israeli government threatens war in verses 11 and 12. C, the Israeli government sends a delegation in verses 13 to 15a. D, the delegation accuses the eastern tribes in verses 15b to 20. 
E, the two and a half tribes swore innocence in verses 21 to 23. F, the two and a half tribes explained the altar in verses 24 and 25. F, the two and a half tribes explained the altar in verses 26 and 28. E, the two and a half tribes swore innocence in verse 29. D, the delegation accepts the explanation in verses 30 and 31. C, the delegation sent by the Israeli government returns home in verse 32. B, the Israeli government withdraws their threat in verse 33. And A, the two and a half Israelite tribes named the altar in verse 34. Significantly, these chiastic patterns, along with the various other literary devices, combine in extremely unique ways to make the Bible stand out among the rest of the literary masterpieces and other so-called holy books. As one author proclaims, when God breathed out the scriptures, he synthesized a wide variety of thematic repetitions and literary devices to engage us in the greatest and most beautiful literary accomplishment of all time. So while it's true that in some respects, literary study of the Bible is still in its infancy, we still see the awesome design here. And we shouldn't be surprised. God is the best teacher after all. He knows how to teach us, his children, so that we will understand. He truly is the good teacher. And significantly, Jesus many times taught in chiasmic patterns. So while the placement of some of the texts might seem strange to our eyes, it could be because there's a literary device being employed. And today, we just barely scratch the surface. But it's definitely something to keep in mind as we're reading along. There are many literary devices used in the Bible. And we need to understand that because this is the way they communicated. Mm -hmm. And over thousand, 2,000 years, they've tried to, you know, attack the Bible. And they, in fact, I would use the French philosopher who back 100 years ago or 130 years ago said, well, the Bible will be dead, you know, in 100 years. Well, today, his house is being used as the Bible Society in France. So mm -hmm. there you go. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know what to say about that. Yeah. Uh, except that obviously he was wrong. So it's very interesting to see all of that. Janice? Yes. Well, the last few verses of Joshua chapter 21 is a wonderful conclusion to the last two chapters. Really, actually, the chapters of 13 through 21. Here's what it says. Verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Here's the last verse of chapter 21. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. God's promises are faithful. God's promises are true. And God's promises always come to pass. They always come to pass. This God that we read about in the Old Testament is the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His Word is something that we can stand upon. Now, what we can see through these passages in Joshua is that the God of Israel is a promise-keeping God. He gave Israel the land according to the promise that He had made. And in addition, if you were listening really well, He also 
gave them rest. These are something, things that God and only God can give. His rest that he gives is different than the rest that we understand. This is a supernatural rest that only God can give. So my, my um, directive for today is to remind us all that God keeps his promises. His word is true and you and me can depend on that. I think that's important because the idea is that God doesn't change his mind and mm -hmm. God, because God knows the future, he knows the present, he knows, he knows the past. Yep. And also God uh, communicates to us what he wants us to hear. And that's not for us to discover necessarily, it's for us to discover God. And I think that's important. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, when people enter into the Bible, it's different mm -hmm. than before when they did not have the power of the Holy Spirit and they read the Bible. And a lot of people do not see the difference. A huge difference because mm -hmm. these words are the words of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting too, because as we'll see, and as, as we have been reading along, we'll see that some of the tribes of Israel did not completely fulfill the calling of what they were supposed to do. Yeah. So it's very important that as we become believers, as we are following Jesus Christ, that we get his word into our hearts and we know it so that we can live it, so that we can move upon and do the things that God requires from us. There really is a way that we need to live. And oftentimes it's not what we think. It's not what we feel. Mm -hmm. we, need to, to, we need to understand what God has put in his word for us to follow because what he says will happen. And, but we have to be faithful to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that there can be misunderstanding too because some people think, well, you know, I'm a Christian now, I've got the Holy Spirit, so this is going to be easy for me. Mm -hmm. It's going to be easy for me to read the Bible every day and to understand what I'm reading and to change my life. And that sometimes that is true in that there, there'll be some seasons of our life where it's really easy to understand what we're reading and really easy to change the way that we're living in our lives. But other times it takes a lot of work and a lot of discipline. And I just want to encourage anyone out there who is listening to us going, well, that's just not me then. I must just not have the Holy Spirit. I must just not be there. Well, no, that's not it. You know, the Christian life is a hard one because mm -hmm. it goes against our human nature, our sinful nature, but that's okay. It, there will be progress. Sometimes it'll be fast progress. Sometimes it'll be slow going, but any progress is still progress. So just stick at it, read the scripture as slowly as you need to, get into it, try to study it and think about it in your life. Think about what it would mean to live that out in your daily life and what it would, what it would look like and start making those choices.
Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30, we have a prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting is live on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV. We want to invite you to join us because that's very important. We'll pray for you live. Right now, let's pray and say, Lord, help me to know and help me to obey what you have said inside your wonderful word. Help me to do that, Lord, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.